Welcome to Great Commission Conversations, a program where we engage in conversation with Bible-believing Christian workers who are serious about getting the gospel around the world. I'm Lee Cadenhead, missionary to Zimbabwe, Africa, sent out of Cornerstone Baptist Church in Carthage, Tennessee, and your host for this Great Commission Conversation. What is an evangelist, and what role does the evangelist play in the Great Commission? This is the subject addressed in today's Great Commission Conversation with Evangelist Bill Smith. Brother Bill's understanding of the office of the evangelist has matured over the years, and in this conversation, he and I have a candid discussion concerning some of the misconceptions of full-time evangelism and how he sees the role of the evangelist in scriptural and practical terms. I think the discussion is thought-provoking, and I hope you'll find it to be helpful as you think through the biblical categories of Christian servants contributing to the work of the Great Commission. This is the second part of my interview with Brother Bill, and our subject today is the work of an evangelist. Brother Bill, you are the first evangelist, actually, that I've hosted for the podcast. Most of the interviews have been with missionaries and then uh, several with pastors as well. But um, you're the first evangelist that I've had on the program. And uh, while you're deeply invested in missions, obviously, and you spend a significant portion of your ministry overseas, you uh, you have been very clear in the course of our conversation and in, in you communicating your calling to others that you're not technically a missionary. You've, you've tried to be consistent in designate, designating yourself as an evangelist. And you've talked about a little bit about your calling as an evangelist. Scripturally speaking, how do you understand and define the office of an evangelist? And how do you see that role as being different from a missionary and a pastor? And then I'm, I also want to get into, at some point, the, the relationship of the evangelist to the pastor, the evangelist to the missionary. And um, related to that, obviously, and central to that is, is the, the local church. So uh, talk us through how you approach this from a, in scriptural terms, the role and calling of an evangelist. Obviously, I when I started into the ministry, I didn't have this concept in my head the way I have it today. Um, sure. God, I just looked at what I saw and um, in ministry, and we often follow those paths. And 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 so it when I first started evangelism, um, leaving college, I was encouraged with this the concept of calling myself a missionary. And um, I did for about a year um, because that's what I was advised to do. But I was troubled by it a lot. I, I mean, I really was. I was just like, I don't, there's something that doesn't mesh there. So I began to just ask God to help me to understand that. And I dropped off the idea of the missionary, although many people call me that and it doesn't bother me. I'm, you know, I'm fine with whatever. But I, I really began to study and say, what is this thought of the evangelist? What is he? What is he supposed to do? And and, and and no criticism is intended here, but a lot of men that call themselves evangelists probably are not necessarily. And really the tag missionary is put on there because of the financial side, because of, right. the, of the need for support. Right. And, and God, and I guess that's where God really, really dealt with me was that if that's the only reason I'm putting that tag there is for finances, then I shouldn't um, because... <laughs> 
God will supply every need. He really will. And um, we, we shouldn't be focused so much on finances. And, and I've just, God dealt with me um, in my second year out really traveling that to not worry about the finances. And we did have a couple of churches, two churches that support us, had $200 a month. That's what we had for an income guarantee. Um, <laughs> and, and I just felt I'm not going to worry about that. I'm not going to, I'm not looking for money. Um, and, and even, you know, what we were doing, church planning, helping church plants. I mean, honestly, that was lots of times the love offerings were very, very small. I mean, and, I mean, the church planner had greater needs than I had, you know, he's trying to plant a church and, um, we just felt led to trust God and see what he does. And, you know, I'm still going, we're still surviving and I'm greatly blessed. And so, so when I began to look in the scriptures about the scriptural idea of an evangelist, of course, you know, we don't even find it in the scriptures a whole lot. I mean, we know it's mentioned Ephesians. We know that Philip was called the evangelist and, um, so that's kind of burdensome when you look at the scriptures, but what God gave to me on the whole concept, because even the word mission, missionary is not really in the Bible. We don't have it as a scriptural <laughs> word. Right. right. And I'm not opposed to using it, but the word missionary actually came from the Catholic church and it's what they called their Jesuits and they started missions and that's why they were missionaries. So it's Catholic terminology, but in the scriptures, of course, we know Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter number four, we often list verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some and, and teachers. The word some is not there after pastors. Before verse 11 is the, is the parentheses of verses nine and 10. But when you go back to verse number eight, you got to link eight to 11. And this is just kind of what God dealt with me about was in verse eight when he said, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. And then he said he gave gifts unto men. Well, if you bypass 9 and 10, because it is in the parentheses, verse 11 says, and he gave some comma apostles and some comma prophets and some comma evangelists. And, and what grabbed my heart was is that the evangelist is given to men, just like the prophet was given to men, just like the apostle was given to men, just like the pastor. People need the evangelist. And so I believe in missions that when a man calls himself a missionary, he needs to settle in his heart, which of these callings is he truly? Because I believe some missionaries are to be pastors to people. Um, some missionaries are to be evangelists to people. And that would greatly determine what their foreign ministry is going to look like. Um, whereas oftentimes we just say missionary, but we don't really define what is that man's calling. Right. So basically when we use the word missionary, it's, it's, it is in a significant way, it's conventional language to describe someone who is getting support from American churches. Our, our conventional terminology is actually dictated in large part by the by the financial enterprise. Exactly, and and and, and obviously we need the finances. I, I believe scripturally we can very clearly teach that we are to support men that are doing ministry. You know, and um, you know that's just clear. 
but even and this is where sometimes I I'm very careful to tread, but but the the wording there in Ephesians it's interesting how he lists the apostles first, and then he lists the prophets, and then the evangelists, and then the pastors, teachers, and 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 I firmly believe obviously the gift of prophecy is gone. Nobody's going to foretell the future, but the office of the prophet in the sense of a man that says, thus saith the Lord, um, preaches the judgment, just like the prophets of the Old Testament. They weren't afraid to go to the king and say, you're the man. And the church still needs preachers like that. And the, whether the church is in Africa, India, or in America, it needs men that are just unafraid to boldly stand up and say, this is doctrine, this is truth, this is right, this is wrong. And you'll see missionaries that are that way and the fil- the world needs them whether it's america or africa um sure you sure. need men that are and, strong and um, the uh to 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 be dismissive of the concept of of prophecy and i realize again so much of the time we're our our language is conventional because we're trying not to mm-hmm. fall into a ditch somewhere right and so we recognize that the scriptures are sufficient and we don't have continued revelation and foretelling of the future and that kind of thing. But in First Corinthians 14, prophesying was speaking unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. And there is, there is as you just described, an office that is still very needful in our generation. It's, it's not foretelling the future, but uh, it's still, as you pointed out, God gave this gift of gifted men to the church to get something accomplished and the need for that hasn't changed. No. And, and that's the thing, whether it's America or Mexico or Canada, anywhere in the world. When I was dealing through all this, God gave me a, a verse out of Matthew 13 in the parables when it talks about how that um, the devil scattered his seed and the son right. of you know, God scattered his seed. And we are that seed. This, the good seed is us believers, right? And in that statement, he said this about the field, you know, in the previous parable, the field was the heart of men. That's where you sow the gospel. But when God plants his people, it very clearly says the field is the world. World, right. And so at that point in my ministry, I stopped looking at foreign and domestic missions. I just said it's the world. God didn't call me to America. He didn't call me to Africa. He called me to the world. Every believer is called to the world wherever they are now god may situate us in some place for our whole life and that's fine because that's where he wants us but nothing changes when i get on an airplane and sail to africa or fly to africa. well and and that is so the in terms of our understanding or our usage of this terminology missionary versus evangelist um it's not only so you've got the financial component, um, which which bears on the way we utilize the terminology, and then you've just touched it there. I think that often we conceive of these offices in relation to geography. Yes. It's just as simple as the missionary is a foreign worker, the evangelist is a stateside worker, but that's not a, a strictly scriptural um, distinction. No, not at all. And, and it goes further because... Um, you know, we often refer to a man in, in Africa, we'll call him a national pastor. Well, your pastor's a national pastor. My pastor's a national pastor. Right. And then men say, well, I don't trust a national pastor. <laughs> I mean, I've heard it. And um, I'm like, well, you don't trust your pastor? 
And, <laughs> and I said, so I, I, I try to get that term out of my mind and I try to use the word local pastor because he's a local pastor. So I'm an evangelist helping that local pastor, whether he is an African, an Indian, an American, a Chinese. Um, it, the, the Bible doesn't change anything because of that. Um, I have to treat him exactly. If I, if I go to a church in America, I treat a pastor a certain way as an evangelist. When I go to a church in Africa, I have to treat that pastor the exact same way because I'm an evangelist. Now, if God had given me the calling of the prophet, I would treat a pastor in America differently than I do as an evangelist. Um, I, I just believe that scripturally. I would, I would probably correct him more in doctrine and things if I saw the need because that's what God has given me. Um, the, but he hasn't given me that. I'm not that nature. That's not who God has given me. Um, it's not one of my strong, strong callings. And so then the apostle, I look at that one and, and probably I would say the apostle is a representation of what did they, what what, the command go into all the world was given to the apostles. They were the, if we were going to use our term today, they were the missionary and uh, they were the church planner. And, um, but once again, if a missionary is called to be a pastor using that term missionary, I'll guarantee when he gets to Africa, India, or China, he'll typically will start one church and spend his life there training men, sending them out (laughs) because he's a pastor. Because that's what a pastor does in America. That's what a pastor does in Canada. And that's what a pastor does in a foreign field, in a foreign nation. But if his calling is an evangelist, he's not going to do that. He's going to go everywhere preaching the gospel. If he is more of the apostle, he's going to, he's going to plant many, many churches. Because right, it's a pion- more of a pioneering a pioneer, of and that's why I look at my friend Jeff Porter, and that's you know you see that in his life, always going to new places, trying to find a place. And and what did Paul say, to to minister where no one else is ministered, to not build right, on somebody right. else's work, and that's the mindset of the apostle. And so I I always ask young men or even missionaries when I get into a conversation with them, I said, what did God call you to be? And most often they say missionary. I say, I, okay, I get that, but what type of missionary are you? Because that's going to shape your ministry. It's going to shape the way you prepare. It's going to shape the way you do the work on the foreign field. And um, and try to get beyond the fact that I just need money. That's why I'm a missionary. Um, <laughs> because like I know a fellow in South Africa who left America, had his support, got into South Africa, found a church that didn't have a pastor. He They asked him to be his pastor. It was not a big church, but it was established, had a building, things like that. He took the church, became their pastor. And, and literally he wrote his church in America and said, I'm a pastor over here and I don't need your support. My church will take care of me. And he's been in South Africa for, I don't know, 25 years, 30 years. Praise he pastored Lord, that church. That's and, and I thought he, he knew his calling, you know, and um, if you just want to pastor one church, then there does come a time when biblically who should be caring for you, your church. Now as an apostle, who cared for the apostle Paul? Well, the churches he established, um, you know, and, and in my ministry, I, you know, sometimes people say, how do you do everything financially? Cause it's huge. I mean, and I've never really went out and raised support, but honestly, the churches that in 1993, 94, 95, 96, 97, 98, there were young churches or struggling churches that we ministered to in America. They're behind my ministry a hundred percent. And they, I get monthly support, but I get, I get big drops, you know, like 
I'm going to Africa and I'm doing a project and a check shows up in the mail with, without really even having to write and say, I need this. They, they just, they, they read my letters. They know my ministry. They know what's going on and they're behind it. And, um, and I'm thankful for churches like that. And, and I think every missionary needs churches like that, no matter what type of ministry they're doing. Um, they need that, that behind them. So, well, let me interject a, a, a couple of ideas in relation to what you've just presented. I, I basically, brother, I've, I've adopted that, that understanding of Ephesians four as well Amen. years ago in, in thinking through some of these things. Now it's not that, and I don't think that you are proposing, nor am I, uh, ditching the conventional terminology. It, it we're, we're not going to, we're, we're, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here in terms of the missionary enterprises of local, Absolutely. The enterprise right. of right. the American church. But with that said, um, sometimes we're having a conversation about missionary methods and um, a philosophy of missions and how best to go about uh, doing missions on the foreign field. And, um, you know, do, 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 should the man be, uh, should he work in a multitude of different areas? Uh, should he establish himself singularly in one location and form a model church that then sends out workers to other fields? And these are these are critical questions to the work of missions, and they're worthy of our discussion and uh, trying to hash out the, the, the needs of the field and the deployment of biblical um, principles in different cultural contexts. But what you've just mentioned here is sometimes left out of those considerations, and that is, what is the gift set of the man that we're talking about? Because one man that is well-suited to have a very, a, 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 an itinerant type of ministry for the entirety of his missionary career is going to be fruitful doing that, whereas a man with a pastor-teacher type of gift set is not going to be as fruitful with an itinerant work, and it's going to be a mistake to try to pour that guy into that mold when what he would be better served to do and what the missions enterprise would, would be, what would be more fruitful for the larger work of missions is for that guy to get to a place and just nurture a flock over a protracted period of time. So we can't take, you know, yeah, let's talk methods and uh, let's hash these things out. Let's talk biblical principles and the best way to do it. And if there's a better way to do it, we want to do it in the best way possible. But we also got, have to remember that there are personalities, individuals, and gifts at stake, and that there's not a um, there's not a uh, cookie cutter for that. There are there's a there's a biblical model in Ephesians chapter four, but um, that it's a it is a it is a very important question. What you've proposed putting before young men, what is your gifted? What is your gift set? What what are you gifted to accomplish? Um, I, I do. I wonder, brother Bill, do you think that, um, do you, do you think that you've ever witnessed in, I mean, you're, you're, you've been in ministry now for almost 30 years. Um, do you witness, uh, a, a, uh, 
a drift or a transition between these kinds? Is it possible for a man to have one kind of emphasis at one point in his ministry and a different emphasis at a different time in his ministry? I, I think so. I think you could have multiple, um, even at the same time. I think there are men that, you know, have the, obviously in the qualifications of pastor teacher, that's very clear right there in Ephesians that a man is a pastor and a teacher. A pastor is told to do the work of the evangelist. So he obviously needs some of aspects there. Um, but I also think that sometimes, particularly in the areas of, if I use that term prophet and, you know, I never would go around calling a man a prophet and create too much confusion, but, but it, that's probably not till later in life. Um, Cause you don't see too many, you do see a few young of that aspect, but really, you know, that's just not there. So I think sometimes as our life would change, um, maybe God opens the door um, to different areas of ministry and therefore he now gifts us in that area because it's needful. Um, so I, I think there could be some transition there, um, but I don't think that your primary one is ever going to leave you. I, I think if, you know, you're always going to be, trying to do that till the day you die because it's sure. your primary calling. And, sure. Um, but sure. yeah, I definitely think, you know, and sometimes you you know, uh, there's a need. And um, because of that need, you ask God to help you meet that. Uh, when I first went to South Africa, I was just a hundred percent evangelism. I mean, man, we were just evangelizing, evangelizing, evangelizing. And then but there was no, there were no preachers, there were no pastors, there were no, you know, there were no laborers coming out of the churches. And so began to have a great burden to have a Bible Institute to, to train men. And, um, and so for about my brother-in-law came over them and he saw the same need. And so together we, we started a Bible Institute there in South Africa. And so for several years, when I went to Africa, I didn't do the evangelism. I was teaching. I was, you know, my focus was teaching classes and I was teaching, you know, basic doctrine and how to sell your Bible. And so my four to five months in South Africa, I was locked into that place. And um, then we graduated a couple of students and some of them went back to their areas to preach the gospel. But then we had a graduate that felt like he should stay and, and work in the Institute. And so today he's teaching all the classes that I taught with the exceptional one. And I'm That's hoping great. to turn that one over to him soon. And and so for a time I was, I was the teacher, not the evangelist, you know, and, um, sure. and that's, I think, yeah, I think there are times when we make a transition. So the other observation that I think is, is useful as we talk about these different gifted men as presented in Ephesians chapter four, while each has a different emphasis, each of them have the ultimately the same purpose. Because in the same context, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 tells you what all four of these different gifted offices, if you want to call them that, gifted men actually accomplish, what their, what their objective is. It's for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. It even tells you how long they're in operation till, all, till we all come in the unity of the faith. So while, while there is a different emphasis, ultimately, uh, we're serving the same larger purpose. Absolutely. And it's a, yeah, it is. And, and I think you need all of them. 
I, I think that's yeah. where we on the foreign countries, that's why we, we fail. Um, I think, first of all, it's the reason why some men go and come back because they didn't understand their calling. So they were trying to plant churches when they were a teacher. Um, you know, they were trying to evangelize the whole nation when they were a pastor and they didn't understand their calling because they were writing letters of expectations back to their supporters and their supporters had expectations. So they came back from the foreign field, but then also men struggle to work together because, you know, they, well, I, because they look at it as a philosophy instead of a Bible plan. And so this man has this philosophy of missions and this man has this philosophy. Well, it's because they have a different calling, but if they could work together and, and their, their callings complement each other, then the works flourish. And that's, you know, that's whether in America or Mexico or anywhere. And, that's um, a great point. And I, I want to take that to, to transition to, to another line of questions here for you, brother, because the, I do believe that those, that those gifted men are intended to be complementary in the larger work. And that is consistent with the context of Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four is about the church is about the ministry of the church. And in the first part of this interview, you, you sort of touched on this in terms of the way that your, your mentality about your ministry. And I think it's pretty evident that you see your ministry in relation to the church. And unfortunately, whenever you get any of those gifted men, including, and and for our emphasis here on the podcast, we're normally emphasizing the uh, the church planting foreign element of the ministry. But that should be in relation to the church. The church sends missionaries and missionaries establish churches, and hopefully the churches that missionaries establish send other men. It is a self-perpetuating model, which is the edifying of the body of Christ. It's all there in Ephesians chapter 4. But in terms of the role of the evangelist, um, if 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 the evangelist is going to be effective, he's got to see his ministry in relation to the local church, not independent of the local church. And I think that it sounds to me like this is something that you discovered and have put into practice from early on in your ministry as an evangelist. You didn't pour your ministry un into this mold of, well, I'm an evangelist, so I'm going to cold call until I get a full schedule <laughs> of preaching meetings now that I have this, all this, you know, all this ministry experience at 21 years of age, and I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to expect all of these pastors to invite me into their pulpits. You know, uh, th this does get, this, this does get kind of, I mean, it, th there's an, there is oftentimes an imbalance, I think, in the way that office is understood. And, um, it, you're, it's, it's really refreshing to, to hear you describe your early years as an evangelist where you just resigned yourself. It's, it's not, that's the wrong word. It's not resigned yourself. You saw where you fit in relation to established local churches. And you have made an effort for years and years to be a help to churches, to serve in a support role to churches, to work in conjunction with local pastors and foreign missionaries for that matter. So how do you see the relationship between the evangelist and the local church and those other gifted roles? 
Amen. Well, I, yeah, I think a hundred percent that it's it's not about a st- it's not about establishing a ministry, and, and I think that's where we get sidetracked. Anytime we want to build a ministry, we are outside of God's design. Um, God's about the church, and so I don't need a I don't need evangelist Bill Smith Ministries, and I, I don't mean that to be derogatory towards anyone, but, <laughs> but I don't need that because there's the church, and so Amen. I serve under the church and. You know, I, I tell sometimes I'm kind of like an honorary member of this church for this week or two that I'm here um, because a lot of churches give me a key to the building, the code to the alarm, the, you know, and I'm just there to serve them for that week or however long it is, you know, and um, and it is in the area of evangelism. It is in, you know, and, and, and occasionally I would preach, you know, uh, this week I'm preaching more of to the church people a revival, but the underlying focus of my message is it's time for you people to get back out giving the gospel um, because that is my thrust. It is, you know, that's why I'm here. I'm here to help you get the gospel, not just to your locale, but to the world um, to encourage them. Hey, do you see that community over there? There's no church there. There's no gospel there. Why don't you think about planting a church there? I'll come help you. You know, we'll knock doors. And, um, and I, I think that's the relationship the evangelist has with the church. And, and once again, it's, I, I, so many good men, I, but their only goal is I've got to have a meeting because I need finances. I've got to keep my schedule full so I can pay my bills. And, and, and I understand that. I mean, it's not, it's not cheap to travel, but if that becomes our focus, then we just have meetings. And, um, you know, it's, it, it doesn't help the cause of the gospel going around the world. And, um, and I'm, I'm just, I'm, I, I know this, that God will supply every need. If, if a young man's going into evangelism, if he'll take that mindset and he'll just let pastors know I'm available, um, how do you want me to help? And pastor, maybe they may be running a fair booth and they need to staff it. And you come staff their fair booth for a week, you know, um, they might be planning a church and need door knockers. Um, and if you find someone planning a church, volunteer your services, say, Hey, I'll, I'll come over and canvas and knock doors because i can go all day long i can i can start at 10 in the morning and go till nine at night if you want i don't have anything else to do you know and and um if a young man will have that attitude i'll promise him god will meet his needs and he will be he'll be so busy he won't be he won't be calling pastors looking for meetings (laughs) he'll be saying no i can't come i can't come and um because i'm honestly and and i don't want to talk about me a lot but but really, I have not really called a pastor cold call for a meeting in 20 years or longer, 25 years. Um, I'll call a pastor who's told me, hey, if you have a free date, let me know. I'd love to have you come through and help us. So I'll let them know. But I have not, I've not sent a mailing out saying, um, you know, I need meetings. Um, I, it's just, you know, and, and and somebody one time said, well, that's why you go overseas. Because I said, no, I said, Do, I canceled lots of weeks to go overseas and all during COVID, I was, I, I preached every week through COVID. I never had a week off until just a little bit of time in January when I was spending some time with my family. And, um, and, and I just, I just believe that. I believe that God will do that for any, you know, and, and I, I wish more young men, cause I believe God's called them into evangelism and um, that they would take up that mantle of faith and go do it, you know, and, and once again, you, you don't have to wait until you're 35 or 40. 
if you're willing to just go and be a witness and soul win and and serve under a pastor you, you really if your church obviously i believe that 100 percent. you know acts 13 um you know your church needs to send you out and have their blessing behind you but um there are there are so many i could give a young man today 50 churches that he could call and the pastor would say yeah we could use a, someone to come soloing you know <laughs> and um <laughs> you know it's there you know so yeah god's been, been good with all that well, let me get you to relate that mentality to foreign work and uh, international ministry. Now, I, I've, I've, so I've heard that the terminology missionary evangelist a good bit over the last few years. I, I'm not trying to be disparaging to, to anyone that, that um, designates themselves in, in that way. Um, as a matter of fact, I, I, I sort of thought of you in those terms because that seems to match kind of the, the model of ministry that you've, that you've adopted in, in relation to the conventional terms of having itinerant ministry and then doing foreign work. But um, sometimes short-term mission trips, and I'm thinking of, let's just say, a scenario where you've got an evangelist, and this is he, he, an itinerant minister of the gospel that focuses on getting the gospel out, that takes short-term mission trips to foreign fields, and the, the whole emphasis is on soul winning. It's on not just soul winning, but getting decisions in, um, in, in mass evangelistic types of settings. And I'm, I'm afraid that sometimes the reports that come back of these efforts are somewhat sensationalized. And I think that that is connected also to some of the, the financial motivations, because if you can report big numbers, lots of conversions, that is appealing to American churches for financial support. Um, it seems to me that if the, if the, Ministry of an evangelist, however, is not connected to local churches, wherever that's taking place, stateside or on foreign fields, um, that it's the, the results are not going to be lasting. And in, all, in many cases, I'm afraid that the reports of those results are sometimes exaggerated. So I don't want to be I don't want to be unfair and 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 I'm not I don't have anything specific in mind. I'm not trying to be disparaging to some other model of ministry. I'm thankful for whoever's getting the gospel out. But I I in in interacting with you a little bit, I think that you're more modest and realistic about your foreign efforts, be they in Africa or India, and it seems to me that you're pretty committed to trying to make sure that your foreign efforts are connected with some local ministry be it a foreign missionary like Jeffrey Porter in South Africa years ago, now in Zimbabwe, or with local pastors in India or other places. So how do you approach this thing when you're, when you're doing foreign work? Um, what's, what's the right mentality when you are going to go to a foreign field to do evangelism? Yeah. Once again, I, I think, um, trying to go back to the scriptures and see what did what did the early church do what did paul do and 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 i believe that i don't i don't believe there has to be a local church there for you to preach the gospel 
but I believe your intention has to be to leave behind a local church and um, which is going to entail more invested ministry in an area. It's not just a one-time preach and go on. Um, you're going to go back and check on them. You're going to have discipleship. You're going to have training. Um, you think about the apostle Paul, even if he personally wasn't going back to someplace, he was sending people there um, yes. and having them. And that, and once again, that's where we need the diversity of men is yes. that, you know, do I have a pastor? Do I have a, a teacher I can send there? And Paul did. He had men that, you know, in Timothy, when he told Timothy, stir up the gift, um, I think maybe Timothy was needing that encouragement to do the gift that God had given him that Paul couldn't do. And, um, and so he wanted that to be mindful. So, so yeah, when I first went to India in 96, um, we did, for no lack of a better term, we did the sensational stuff. Um, and boy, it is fun. It's thrilling, you know, and, 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 and people probably get saved, but, but the reality is they don't. I mean, that's the hard truth, but they don't, because when you go back, they're still Hindu. They're still worshiping their false gods. Um, I have a, have an essay written by an Indian man, um, about that whole thing about the missionaries that come and people will do whatever you say, just because they're hoping for something. Um, yeah, it's it's sort of a flash in the pan, and right. that's not what we want. And and I did that for a while, um, but after not seeing the fruit of it, um, God began to that same truth. You need to work with a local pastor, a missionary that's there, or a man that is indigenous to the country, and and even that local pastor may not be um, what you are. Okay. Um, we're a little bit shy on this in America because we do have an abundance of men that are like we are. Right. But when you first go into a place, you don't have that. Um, sure. But you have men that are sincere and they do want truth. And so we began to focus on pastor training and bringing them in, teaching the truth. And you know, when you teach the truth, you find out quick where they are. Um, they Some stay, some leave. Um, and And you know what? Your ministry becomes requiring a lot less money. It doesn't cost anything to teach the truth. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, you can just go teach, you know, you buy your airplane ticket, have a place to stay. Maybe you need to feed the men or, you know, pay a little bit of transport for them if you need to, if you want. Um, but it really becomes way less. I mean, my trip expenses for India dropped considerably um, when we started just focusing on that. But to do the big crusades and things is quite expensive. And I'm not against the big crusade, but you got to have workers. You got to have people that can um, witness to the people. You got to have a church that's right that they can funnel into. And right. so when we began to train the pastors, though, the, the amazing thing in India is that um, the work is multiplied. Um, I, I don't even want to try to think how many churches there are now over there um, that are going on because of because of the same thing you mentioned earlier. When one church gets going, it starts other churches. Um, one of the pastors that I work with in India, a young man, they started four churches last year, four new villages. And um, all during the COVID time, they went out and preached in these little villages. There's four more churches that are are there established. And, you know, they're not American churches as far as building and structures and format, but but there's a group of people that are saved. They baptize them and they're training a man to pastor it. And um, it's amazing how that works. And so, I yeah, I, I, I've learned a lot through trial and error. Um, in those areas, but I'm pretty persuaded on it now that really the key thing is, is to 
go preach in these places, but have the mindset you're going to go back and you're going to go back and you're going to go back until God either raises up someone in that village that you can train as a pastor or somebody in the team you're working with gets a burden and goes there and becomes the pastor. And um, it's very effective. It's very effective. It looks slow at first. Um, one church, two churches. But the thing is, each of those churches now starts to produce laborers and multiplication starts to take place. And literally, there will be hundreds of churches um, in those countries. And um, but it won't be you. That's that's to me, that's the neatest thing. It's like right. you're just a part of the equation. These aren't right. these aren't Bill Smith's churches. These men don't I don't lord over them. Now, I counsel them. I can speak straight to them. But ultimately, they're responsible. And if the church doesn't do what they're supposed to do, that's, you know, God's going to take care of them. And um, I, it's a freedom in a lot of ways. And like I said, financially, it requires way less resources. And um, Speaking of the financial piece, that you, you, made, you made reference earlier in the conversation that, that, you know, sometimes it said that, well, you just can't, you can't trust national pastors, <laughs> uh, which is, which is a, a, a very unfair um, assessment because really, I mean, we're all, we're all going to church with a, with a, with a national pastor. He's just, uh, just not a foreign nationality to us. So uh, that's a, that's a, an unfair blanket type of uh, statement. And yet it does reflect one of the problems in this, in this realm. And that is that, um, we have experienced many, many have experienced on the foreign field, uh, especially p- particularly perhaps in the third world where there are opportunists that have, that have infiltrated the ministry. And, uh, I mean, you hear wild stories about <laughs> national pastors, local pastors, uh, changing the church signage, you know, when the new group comes in and just basically adapting to any foreign evangelist that will put money into his ministry or into his pocket. So the financial element is an area that really has some pitfalls. I'm wondering if you have, because you do have something of an itinerant ministry, it's, it is difficult to vet, um, your, your partners, um, and yet I know that that's something that is immediately in your mind when, when you meet a man in ministry, you're trying to, you're trying to discern the, uh, the motives of that man. And if he really is serious about the truth in between the time that you meet, uh, these potential local partners and find out that they're sincere and that they're the real deal and that they're worthy of the of the investment of your time, how do you handle that monetary piece as you take the short-term trips? I believe a lot of that is relying on the men that are in the country, whether that's a a missionary that's there or other, to be honest, I really like to lean on the the local pastors because they know their people, they know the culture, Um, men that you've trained personally, um, you know, like Paul would have implicit trust of Timothy and Titus and Silas because they were the team. Right. And um, but yet at the same time, Paul had people turn on him, people that he invested in that forsook him. So you will have fallout. But I, but I think the the key thing is, is that don't try to to make a big ministry. Um, it'll become big 
and but then it'll be once again it comes back to the local church so like if if the local church is not seeing this man as trustworthy and worthy then i'm going to be very cautious yes and um and so that's why once again I'll, I'll start with the local church and then if i go to a place where there is no church then i'm taking men with me that i trust right and we're going to meet people we're going to meet we're going to meet men that want to jump in with us that want to be a part with us you know everybody wants a church building stuff like that but i really leave it up to the local guys and when they feel that there's something there then i'll 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 work through them um you know and try to keep them in the loop I, I might do some things independent you know sometimes god just puts it in your heart and says help this person um and you just got to do that you just can't go against what god says um and god's got his reasons for that whatever that might be in the long term but but primarily the goal is is equipping them like i would rather invest my money into um buying a motorcycle for a young man that's been trained and in your church so that he can go out and do the the ministry um, rather than just giving money to a guy I just met and trying to get him to start a church. And so the young guy has the motorcycle now and he he's now mobile and he can go. And I'd rather buy him tracks and buy him Bibles because he doesn't have those resources. I mean, he's living in a church where people are making a dollar a day. So he's not able to do the ministry that I can do because I have more resources in the sense of tangible right in front of me. And I want to funnel that into him, but for, re for ministry, I I'm really not trying to better his life. I'm just trying to expand his ministry. And, yeah, um, yeah. and that's, you know, it's a struggle. Uh, I mean, I've, I've made plenty of mistakes in that area, but I've made less since we spend more time teaching, um, right. And, and indoctrinating people with the truth. Well, the main thing is is the truth. It's not um, it's not humanitarianism. The right. idea is to pour the word of God into these men because He's the one that's got to that's got to mm -hmm. make the ministry go. And you've just described helping guys with some special projects to jumpstart the ministry. Um, I, I think that um, we would be agreed that you want to try to avoid though. De um, creating a dependency and especially a long-term right. type of dependency to where you're subsidizing um, uh, men in ministry and and incentivizing ministry in the presence of of the other the in the presence of the church in ways that the church could never provide for their own people you can you can really uh, damage the effect and fruitfulness and longevity of a man's ministry by infusing too much of the financial element into those relationships. So. Exactly. And that's why I think it has to be a man that is a very proven that he's going to use it for ministry. Um, and the church is going to receive back from that in the sense that, you know, that's their heart. That's their desire is to get the gospel out and you're teaming up with them and working with them. Um, and, and, and I think that's what every person in the church has to realize is that it really isn't a gift to that man. It's a gift to the ministry to get the gospel out. That just, you know, furthers it. I think that's a great way to look at it. When, when, when your gifts undermine the church, right. when, when they undermine the fruitfulness, long-term fruitfulness mm -hmm. of the ministry, 
then uh, you're, then then it's no longer it's no longer a legitimate investment. Right. I, I think that's a that's a helpful perspective. And I think that is the key: is we get in a hurry. We want to do things fast. Right. And right. and it's it's a whole lot easier to give a thousand dollars than it is to give a thousand hours. And um, but it's more beneficial to give a thousand hours in the long term. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I encourage guys, if you're going to take a short-term trip, your mindset has to be, I really plan to go back. I plan to, you know, I want to invest in these people. It's not just the finances. It's, I want to invest my life in them. And, you know, in our world today, you can do that electronically. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time sending Bible studies and answering questions over WhatsApp. And, um, yeah. and those guys will continually come back to you, come back to you, come back to you. And, and to be honest, sometimes you're like, wow, I don't have the time. I, I wish I would have never gave my number out. Um, but it's, but you need to. And, um, and like I said, it'd be a whole lot easier just to write them a check. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you could get them to leave you alone for a while. Then, if you right. Write them a check. <laughs> but, but if you just keep feeding them spiritually, um, some of them drop off after a while because they realize, oh, that's not what I was after but others really do stay and um, they need help and they need, you know, we, we forget that like a church in America, how many, how many visiting preachers come through your church in a year? I mean, how many special speakers and events and things we do in our churches? I mean, we're just, we, we get, we're blessed. You know, our pastor gets strengthened, we get strengthened, but you know, you go to Africa or India and um, ask a missionary, how many people ever come and help you? How many ever come and encourage you? How many ever come and, you know, and then go out to the villages and the local pastors and say, whoever comes through here and helps right. you with something. Well, right. it's years sometimes. And I, I think that's something that God gripped my heart with was that, once again, it's not about, I don't need to go over there and have a prayer letter and a produce results. I'm there to serve them. And um, sometimes that national pastor needs the same thing that, the pastor here in America needs. He needs to sit and have coffee for three days and talk, yes, and um, unload everything. And that is ministry. And that's ministry. And it's not. It's not much to write home about, but it often is. Well, and sometimes you can't write. Sometimes you can't write home about it. Right. You know, when I'm in a church in America and there's problems and troubles and trials, I can't put that in my prayer letter and say, "Well, this week we dealt with that." That you know, <laughs> it's just. Sure. But. It was needful. And it's the same thing. I mean, I've had entire trips over in India where we did hardly any evangelism because we needed to spend time with these pastors. They were having doctrinal problems. They were having this and um, they were discouraged. Um, same thing in Africa. I've been up in villages for the whole week. And other than passing a few tracks when we were walking around, we didn't even preach an evangelistic meeting. But the time spent just talking and showing scriptures and helping them visit their people that were having problems was a great investment, you know, greater than anything else. And, and the real men over there will tell you that the real, the real pastors that are not looking for the money will tell you, brother Bill, we're thankful if you help us, you know, put a roof on our church. We're thankful if you <laughs> buy us a motorcycle, but please, we just want you to keep coming. Even Amen. if you never do anything, just come. And, um, because they're real men of God and they have real struggles. Yeah. And, um, and that's what people, when they go on a missions trip, should have in their mindset. Um, 
you know, if you want to bring gifts, bring books, bring literature, <laughs> give good books away, but um, don't worry about anything else, but just spend time with the people. Go sit in their house and eat with them and let them yeah. tell you about their burdens and the struggles they're having, you know, cause they have struggles with their kids too. They have rebellious teenagers. They have, you know, wives that are depressed. They have things they're dealing with and time, time spent talking to them. And yeah, that's a great asset in the mission field. Amen. Brother, as we, as we wind up the conversation here, I, I wanted to get you to tell us just a little bit about what's on the horizon for you in terms of your international ministry. And I, I, I have to confess that I have a particular interest in what looks to be developing with you. You've been based largely in South Africa for years in terms of your foreign efforts, but I think that you're in transition somewhat, uh, focusing more and more on Zimbabwe to the north of South Africa. So um, what's your vision going forward, and uh, what uh, what do you feel like the Lord's put on your heart for your international efforts in the uh, months and years ahead. Amen. Yes, sir. I'm, I am truly excited about Zimbabwe. Uh, I went to Zimbabwe the first time in 2007. Um, one of those crazy things, I left my uh, seven kids in South Africa with a, um, a lady in the church, and I went to Zimbabwe. <laughs> crazy. And um, preached up there and did Bible schools. And, and then over the years, we've just gone up and did the same thing. The Bible school, you know, helped the church there up in Mount Cylinder and then the church in Chipingi. And, uh, but then, um, once again, things in South Africa that I was doing seemed to be doing well enough in the Bible Institute and seeing in Zimbabwe the same thing that, um, boy, there's a group of young guys that want to serve the Lord and realizing that, uh, you know, other than Brother Jeff Porter, there's not too many other guys in Zimbabwe that I'm aware of. Um, and, and over the years, nobody had interest and, um, but all of a sudden it's obviously yourself. Um, you cannot, I can't explain how excited brother Jeff is and myself and, and, um, cause I, I, I know God hasn't called me to put my roots in Zimbabwe. I know that I, I'm not going to go there and stay, you know, five years and never leave. I'm going to continue doing what I do, but I'm going to go there for three or four months, five months out of the year. In fact, my plan is to be there from September till April of, of this coming year. But um, God's raising up young men to come, interest. There's a lot of interest. And Zimbabwe is open for the gospel. I mean, it is just amazing. I was there just, uh, I was there in November and December. Then I was again there just um, about four weeks ago. I was there for two weeks, took my two youngest children with me. And everywhere we're going, people are saying, are you going to come plant a church here? Are you going to come plant a church here? Where's your <laughs> church? And, and it's ripe. There, there's several young men out of Brother Porter's work that are ready to go. Um, I believe God, and from talking to you, Brother Lee, I think our hearts are like-minded in philosophy and and things in the mission field. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, we were in Matari where you're going and the, wide open. I mean, people are hungry, hungry, hungry. And not that there won't be battles and difficulties, but it's just sure. like ready. And so God's put a lot of things in place. We still need more laborers um, to come, but I really believe that God's going to raise up men in the country that are, are just going to do amazing things. And, um, Amen. and it's excited. I'm, you know, I'm excited about it and, you know, a lot of just to help whoever's there, um, get the gospel out, get the gospel out and train men and, and, um, it's going to be a good time. Amen. So, Amen. 
I have no doubt. I'm I am excited as well, and and excited. To, uh, I I just see the Lord doing some things, and I'm glad to uh, have some stock in that work and uh, and and have a part in it, and look forward to um, look forward to working with you as as uh, opportunity presents, cooperating together uh, to to do a work for the Lord in Zimbabwe, brother Bill. I really. <clears throat> I really appreciate your time today. Thanks for sitting down for the conversation. Really appreciate your your um, transparency about some of the some of the hardships you've experienced um, years past, and uh, how you've endured, and and the way that uh, God's grace again has just proven uh, its sufficiency in your life. And uh, it was a joy to to be able to talk with you a little bit about Ephesians four and some and some. Uh, doctrinal matters in relation to missions. I think these are conversations that don't go on uh, frequently enough. Uh, the, the, the scriptures, they really are our guide Amen. for the way we do things, the way we do them. And so uh, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to talk to somebody that's, that's studying these things, a student of, of what the Bible says and how that applies to our work. So thank you, brother, for Amen. your time and, uh, and for what you're doing. Amen. Thank you, too, also for making this possible and getting the message out amen so look forward to seeing you in zimbabwe that might be the next time we see each other so yes sir (laughs) Amen. amen thanks again for tuning into the program i certainly hope the conversation has been helpful to you i invite you to subscribe to the program wherever you receive your podcasts and if it's been a blessing to you feel free to invite others to tune in I always welcome your feedback. You can contact me, Brother Lee, by email at greatcommissionconversations at gmail.com. Until next time, let's do what we can to preach the gospel in the regions beyond.